And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com, joined once again by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. Uh, John, much better feeling this week uh, in the, as they call it, the Chief's Kingdom than maybe in, in previous weeks here. I would I would think that's fair. <laughs> I think yeah. people are a little happier today than they were, let's say, last tuesday <laughs> yeah it it did seem for a second there yesterday that it might go ahead at a hand in the other direction but the chiefs were able to fire back come back from that 14 nothing deficit against the raiders in vegas and rally for a a 31-3 run you don't really talk about runs a lot in the nfl but to me that jumps out 31 to 17 the final the chiefs improved to eight and three on the season right now they are behind the Baltimore Ravens who are heading to their uh, bye week, but that's just because the Baltimore Ravens have played that one extra game. And so the top of the AFC is really interesting. You got to stay on your P's and Q's if you're going to vie for that bye week because it's crowded up there uh, with contenders. And I, I think the Chiefs certainly took care of business on Sunday against the Raiders, and they'll need to continue to do so to have a chance at the end of the year for that free playoff win. The Chiefs looked a lot better in this game, I, I think, on both sides of the, the ball. Again, if you throw away the first quarter, we're going to talk about that. Right here on the Editor's Show, we will review some of the injury news. Uh, Andy Reid did speak on Monday. We'll play the highlights and discuss them. We, of course, have our world-famous marinated takeaways, and then we'll finish with some snap count takeaways and the opening odds for the Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers on Sunday night football. This has been up and down uh, as far as that <laughs> next game. We first thought it was going to be Mahomes and Rodgers, and then all of a sudden it's Jordan Love. And at the beginning of the year, wow, the Packers stink. Now the Packers are up and coming, so to speak. They're looking a lot better. We watched them really take care of business against the Detroit Lions on Thursday. So I am interested in, in hearing what John has when it comes to those current odds. But let's stay with this game for now. Again, we're going to get into Andy Reid and his regular zoom press conference on on monday john we didn't have any reviews uh which is which is which is terrible news we got to get those reviews flowing challenging our our great listenership to get us three reviews to read by monday sometimes when we're in a dry spell of reviews for apple <laughs> itunes i have to beg you all so we're looking for some reviews if you can ask us a question you can leave us a comment we will comment uh, on it right here on the arrowhead pride editor show but heading into this game, and we're going to get into to all the good things about it, uh, headed into this game, we saw a couple roster moves that I think are are worth noting, John. Uh, McCole Hardman, he had been uh, dealing with that, what was it, a thumb, a thumb sprain. Must have needed surgery because the Chiefs moved Hardman to injured reserve. This guy can't catch a break these past two years when it comes to injuries. Spent that cup of coffee with the New York Jets, didn't work out there. Came back to the Chiefs, now injured again. Jarek McKinnon uh, was ruled out for the game on Friday. He's been dealing with this lingering groin uh, injury, John. And right before we got on the podcast and I posted my Andy Reid article to AP, seems like he was spending the day in Philly at Big Charlie's yeah. Saloon watching the game, which is a little <laughs> bit odd of a place to go while your team is in Vegas, like not staying in Kansas City. I, I Checked my my homework here, fired up Wikipedia just to remember where McKinnon is from. He's not from Philly. He's from Georgia. And so I wonder if maybe there is a, a checkup going on or was this just a thing he did on a whim where I'm not going to be available for this game. I want to want to check out and see 
big Charlie's. I am curious to see the movement with McKinnon this week, if maybe he did get the injury a, a second look. Yeah, that is kind of interesting, isn't it? But I, that's just something that a player could do, you know, is to go to a place like that. And watch if Travis the game. Kelsey can go to Argentina, right, McKinnon exactly. can go watch the game with some Chiefs fans in Philly. Yeah, Absolutely. I, that would I be fun, right. I think. Yeah, I, I think that would be fun. And, you know, uh, Spagnuolo is, uh, is well known there. And right. um, uh, maybe, you know, we heard Spags talking about it and thought, you know, maybe I could do that if I'm not going to be playing this week. Uh, but you're right, though. It also could be that he was consulting a specialist there because a groin injury is sometimes a code word for something a lot more serious that requires surgery. And uh, you'd want to talk to that out with Hartman. Yep. Uh, so you'd want to be talking to a doctor about that if there if you had one going on and maybe such a specialist exists in Philadelphia. Who knows? As we as we know in Kansas City, if you got a little groin, you got to go get it <laughs> checked out. Uh, also, <laughs> so we knew McCole Hardman and Jarek McKinnon were ruled out on Friday. Kadarius Tony, this is what happened with Kadarius Tony. He was on the injury report with an ankle all week, John, but he was a full participant. And we got through Friday, and it seemed like. He was good to go. He didn't have a status going into this game, so we just assumed that Kadarius would play. I thought that was a good thing because he actually looked like he could be a contributor again, a, a real contributor to this team against Philadelphia, even the, despite the loss. And then suddenly on Saturday, it wasn't an ankle. It was an ankle and a hip issue, and he got downgraded from good to go to out, which is pretty peculiar. So uh, Andy Reid was asked about that situation with all the injuries today uh, during his Zoom call. Well, he he just I, I'm not sure he could have taken a hit, um, and that was the that's kind of what it came down to. I mean, we thought we'd give him time, a short week, you know, give him as much time as we could uh, progress there, but it just didn't work out that way. I think we'll be able to get some uh, work from Nick. Um, I mean, he's wanted to go here uh, even before this, so but um, we're just. You're trying to make sure he's right um, for that. So, and then uh, McKinnon, his his groin's been bothering him, you know, for a bit. He's kind of pushed through it, and I mean, it's just it was at the point where he was going to have a hard time, you know, working at the level he wants to work at there. So, um, and be safe on that, you know. So there's the explanation from Andy Reid. They were worried about Kadarius taking a hit. And then the second player who you heard him talking about, I didn't mention that before we started playing the audio, was Nick Bolton. This is a reminder that the Chiefs have not had Nick Bolton for all these games here. He was placed on injured reserve due to wrist surgery. That means you miss four games. Nick has now missed the four games, and so he could be designated to return. The way that that works is he can practice. Once he practices for the first time, he can practice for 21 days, and then the Chiefs need to make a decision on whether or not he could return to the lineup. The original reporting said there was going to be about two months for Nick Bolton, so I, I think we could see him practice in the coming days, but I don't know if he'll be activated uh, for a week or two here. Really curious. Uh, I want to get back to that Kadarius point. Really curious here, John. Uh, I It makes me curious about what his status is going to be on, on Wednesday. It, it seems like this might have just popped up and uh, maybe it was something where uh, he was getting treatment or was a little bit concerned maybe about a, a bruise on his hip, but they didn't want to risk it. And why risk it in, in the middle of the regular season, even after he was coming off a, a good game? Yeah, I kind of expected when Reed was asked that question, he would give a little more detail about what happened, whether you know right. something happened on the practice field. But it sounded like 
it was part of his world this week. Mm-hmm. But then when they got to the end of the week, they thought, yeah, he can't really take a hit with this. But, you know, the way the injury report rules work, if you're giving him treatment for an ankle injury, but not the hip injury, I don't think you have to say the hip injury is there. Does that make sense? There's and, a little bit of this gray area with the yeah, injury right, report. And right. I wonder in the off season, John, if the NFL makes more strict rules. Mm-hmm. I look at that situation in Cincinnati where it very clearly, and it's kind of been brushed under the rug now. I don't know if you noticed that, but very clearly <laughs> uh, looked like Joe Burrow had an injured wrist coming into the game. Wasn't even on the injury report and people right. were up in arms because there's whole, you know, the NFL is in bed with gambling now. They forever were against gambling. Now it's DraftKings this, DraftKings that. Speaking of DraftKings, our Arrowhead Pride parlay, I, you know, this is behind the curtain for you hardcore Arrowhead Pride uh, people. <laughs> Me and Steve come up with this thing coming after uh, the, the Eagles game of lean into Kadarius Tony anytime touchdown. My phone starts blowing up on Saturday because Steve had scheduled this single game parlay out. And all these Chiefs fans, these readers were like, you want us to risk all our hard-earned money on a player who's not going to play? So, yes, the NFL needs a little bit clearer rules on the injury report. So these mistakes, uh, you know, you know don't, don't get made. Uh, I think... They've the already Chiefs made really, a change this year too with the, right. with the reporting. So with the injured reserve um, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and the return to practice, yeah, yeah. I and I just wonder if it gets a little bit more. Listen, anything, any kind of treatment, whatever you guys are doing, it needs to be on the report, and maybe that starts in twenty twenty four. But this was a little bit peculiar. Uh, the Chiefs were forthcoming in that he wouldn't play on Saturday. I think trying to make sure that they were following all the rules it would have been really mysterious if you you know he just showed up and wasn't playing on on sunday so see what happens when it comes to that so right now we're just monitoring the injuries again to mccall hardman won't see him for four games we'll see about jarek mckinnon we'll see about Kadarius tony and you begin to wonder will it be this week next week that nick bolton returns to practice all right the chiefs played a pretty good game 31 to 17 we've been talking about it uh, yesterday and uh, Andy Reid in his opening statement, I thought was extremely detailed. It's not often on the editor's show that we play the opening statement. Usually it's a little <laughs> bit of coach speak and then he goes right to, you know, times yours. But I, I thought he detailed uh, exactly what happened in the game um, pretty well uh, in, in this particular media session. So we'll play that right now. Starting to come in. <clears throat> uh, listen, I, I started off yesterday mentioning about the fans and, they were, they were phenomenal yesterday. We appreciate all that support uh, on these away games that we, that we get. Um, I thought uh, we, we started off slow and um, both sides of the ball, and we were able to uh, regroup, pick it up, uh, tribute to the guys uh, for not panicking, the coaches not panicking, and everybody kind of keeping their head and, and actually playing better. Uh, as we as we went through the rest of the game after the 14 points, and so uh, defensively, it, it's uh, it's hard to pick one guy. Uh, obviously, Chris is the the leader of that bunch, uh, and he kept he kept the guys going there, and um, and and then he had good production on top of all that, so he played well. Um, but I thought as a group. The, the defense just played very, very good football after those 14 points. 
they they rallied it and made the cha- uh, the changes or adjustments that they needed leverage wise and and um, ended up coming out with a good game and against Spags, uh he kept all that together and it's a tribute to him and his staff um there for for doing that um and uh and then offensively i you know i felt um again we started off slow for the first couple series and um and then things picked up and uh it's a tribute to you know pat and uh, Pacheco and Kels and how they, you know, and, and they just kept everybody going and with their energy and, um, and it ended up working out. I thought the offensive line, uh, did a pretty good job. Uh, even when we weren't getting the drives we wanted, we thought they were, they're, uh, doing a nice job up front against a good defensive line. Um, so, uh, as an end result, those three guys had a had a nice day. Uh, the offensive line had a nice day. The uh, when it was all said and done, and we were able to score in the second half, which uh, we hadn't done there for three games. I thought Nags had a, a great game plan, um, and uh, the execution by the coaches uh, they, they did a, did a nice job with uh, with their input on on the play. So um, all in all, a uh, good day uh, on the offensive side and defensive side. And then special teams, I think they did a nice solid job on special teams. Field position was, was good. We had to fill in that, that punt return position and kickoff return position. And I thought the guys did a, did a good job there uh, stepping up um, Richie securing the ball, which was important. And then, Sky and Richie on the kickoffs, they, they did a nice job with, um, you know, with what they needed to do back there to follow Dave's, Dave's plan there. So a ton of detail from Andy Reid, I, I think, on what was an important win to get things back on track. A little bit of the burying of the lead there, John, because it, it took <laughs> him about a minute and a half to mention that they scored in the second half. And now it's positive that as I have been that I I feel the Chiefs offense is good enough to still win a championship this year. You weren't going to be able to do that in the AFC playoffs if you scored no points in the second half. So it was good to see them come out of the locker room and be able to put as many points on the board uh, as they did. And it really was, I, I think, especially with both sides starting slow, it was really a finally a team effort that got this thing done. The defense, after allowing 14 points in the first half, only allowed three in the second half. And then I mentioned the Chiefs being able to score. They were able to score 17 points in the second half after that three-game drought. So uh, a really good all-around performance by the Chiefs. Yeah, I know that people were pretty upset about that second-half streak. Um, I I kept seeing people talk about it all week on uh, Twitter and in our comments sections, etc., and, you know, you don't want that to be happening. You'd rather see a team that's able to score at any time during the course of the game. Uh, obviously, you want that to be better. But I would point out that a team that is going to tend to come out to an early lead in the first part of the game is going to tend to score fewer points in the second half. Mm-hmm. That's just, you know, that's just the way it is. And so when you're already like that, you happen to have a stretch of three games where 
you know, you don't score in the second half, your total for the season is going to be really low and might even be the lowest in the league. Um, I'm not saying it's okay <laughs> not right. to score points in the second half, but folks were acting like this was the worst possible thing that could happen. Mm-hmm. When in a lot of ways, it's just representative of being a really good NFL team uh, and and being one that can go out to an early lead and then, you know, just play to win after that. Well, you knew it couldn't continue. I mean, there's such a sure. freaky aspect yeah. to them not being sure. able to score in the second half. And it also comes down to, like, not allowing Harrison Butker to kick if you feel like fourth, you know, if you're fourth and close right. or it comes down to game time situations and so on and so forth. And so the chiefs got back together and were able to score 17 points in the second half. And it was a, a really nice effort and, and it really put the game out of reach. You know, once, once the chiefs had a lead, it just had the feel of a game, regardless of how much they won by where the Raiders weren't going to be able to, to get it done. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was yeah. important. A big part of that was this supplemental production beyond Travis Kelsey, maybe even bigger than scoring uh, three points in the second half to me was just the production that you saw not only for Rasheed Rice, who broke out for eight receptions for 107 yards and a touchdown, but also without McKinnon, we had mentioned that, without McKinnon, you had Pacheco in the passing game, got five receptions in the passing game for 34 yards. I thought Sky Moore in more of this role player, depth type of role, looked looked really good. Three catches for 34 yards. Marquez Valdez-Scantling continues to make a, a, a case for being included less and less in the offensive game plan with, with his day. I know that he does things away from the ball, but I just tend to think you got to start to lean into these younger guys. And you saw the chiefs, I think, start to do that uh, in this game uh, in particular with rice. Reed didn't mention rice in the opening statement. So I, I said to Andy during this press conference, what gives we got to talk about Rasheed. Here's Andy's <laughs> Reed's answer. Should have mentioned Rasheed uh, in the opening remarks here, Pete. <clears throat> he um, he's been getting better every week. Um, uh, and he's, he's, uh, he's working to be more Patrick friendly. And, and so not that that's, there's a lot that goes into that, um, when you say something like that. So, and a lot of it is just plain and, and, uh, but being willing to, to fit your game into, uh, the offense's game and how Patrick sees things. And so he's done a nice job of, of being open that way um, and, and listening and, and uh, kind of deciphering what defenses work with what routes and how, how to manipulate that. So, um, and Kels has been a, a good example for him and has been, uh, had some good input there too. So um but anyways, I, I didn't mean to skip him, but th- it was good. It was a good offensive. It was good to be productive, you know, uh, as opposed to the first half, uh, to be able to cont- kind of get a, a complete game after the first couple series. Yeah, so if you go back and listen to the full press conference, which you can do on From the Podium, my question was more about Rice's production leading to a breakthrough. And I don't think Andy Reid is going to sit there and say, yeah, it's a breakthrough because that means he's sliding what the offenses look like. And I don't think he he ever wants to do that. But in the detail of his answer, by citing to me like Patrick Friendly and by citing to me mm-hmm. right place, right yeah. time, opposing defenses, I think he more or less was saying yes, which is a really big part of this to me because if Reid thinks that this was a breakthrough, which I tend to think he does, then you can expect this to continue in a game 
like Sunday night against the Packers. And if Rice can be as productive as he was in Vegas, or at least be this clear second option as you're getting the attention that Travis Kelsey gets. And I think about even like the defensive line, like look at how productive Karloftis and Dana are because of the attention that Chris Jones sometimes get. And if you start to get that on offense with Rasheed Rice being that next target in the passing game with Isaiah Pacheco in the run game with some of those contributions from other receivers and other tight ends like a Noah Gray or a Sky Moore, if Kadarius Tony could stay on the field and be someone as, as far as like a secondary uh, contributor. And I think this offense is going to look a lot better. And, you know, thing, crossing your fingers here, right? Like knocking on all the wood. It's not so bad that the offense is peaking at this point in the season. Sometimes in these recent Chiefs seasons, we've seen the offense being really good at the beginning, kind of tail off and then needing to find that before the playoffs begin. To me, this is building, building, building toward when you want the offense to be clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, we don't seem to be bothered by uh, the defense taking a while to figure out how they're going to no. get things done. Um, at least in the last few seasons that we've, we've seen that happen and we've learned, we can't get too worked up about it. If we get to halfway through the season and the defense isn't being very productive because Spagnuolo has shown that he can get it turned around, uh, once he figures out exactly what, uh, the way to handle the group of people that he's got, why can't it be that way on the offensive side of the ball? Um, I mean, again, it's not that we want the offense to be slow. It's been great that the defense has been terrific right from the opening week of the season, but uh, it's not like we haven't seen this happen on the other side of the ball and it leads to a Super Bowl victory. So uh, I'm not too worried about it yet uh, or still. I don't know which it is. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, part of the the offensive success recently, and I think the comfort that you're you're beginning to see uh, it's mm -hmm. coming in short yardage. The Chiefs were, I think, baffled by what to do on short yardage earlier in the year. It was clear. It was gimmicky. It wasn't working. And it seems like for whatever reason in the past recent weeks, it's been simplified. A lot of that has been let's let this angry MF or Isaiah Pacheco <laughs> angrily MF his way to <laughs> pass the first down marker. And here was Andy Reid on some of that recent short yardage success. Uh, Matt, Matt um, and Andy Heck uh, head that up, uh, Tom Melvin and, um, and Corey Matei, they all kind of join in on that and work the, the run and the pass game together um, in those situations. So they, they've done a nice job with it. You know, the more guys that are available, that are threats there, that you can utilize um, uh, from a coaching standpoint, it's a positive thing. And so, you know, we were talking an example with Rasheed that um, he's getting better. Well, th those are situations that he's becoming more familiar with. And now he can be part of that equation of helping out there. And and then Kels, um, likewise. And then Pacheco and, and Clyde are, are doing a nice job, likewise. And Clyde stepped in, you know, um, for McKinnon and the third down stuff and did a good job along with Pacheco. So Pacheco looks good enough to me right now, where even if the opposing team knows he's coming, it, it's, it's not mattering. Like I, I think that a lot about Philadelphia and the tush push, of course, I mean, this has been going on since last year, so it's going to get a lot more publicity, but if the chiefs can match that with something on their own, then it also, and Andy Reid's really smart about this. Like, Short yardage, you have X and one, 
for all these times, you halfback dive with Pacheco five, six times in a row. Now suddenly the team thinks, okay, we got to really load up here. They're definitely, and then all of a sudden it's a play action and somebody's wide open down the field. Like Andy Reid does that better than anyone too. So it's not only I think short yardage success, but what the short yardage success doing similar things, similar looks could mean for big time plays in the future. Uh, to put it another way, I think people were really unhappy about the use of gadget plays mm-hmm. in these short yardage. You didn't like the McKinnon handoff to yeah. Blake yeah. Bell, or, yeah, or, 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 right, or vice versa. Yeah, those those kinds of things are really going under people's skin. And for those to work, just like with a play action pass, you got to be able to threaten in a traditional way in order right. for that trick to work every time, like it did. Uh, in the Super Bowl season, in the 2019 yeah. season, those tricks worked pretty regularly. And Michael Burton was terrific in that one season. But then, you know, the Chiefs got to the point they couldn't reliably run the ball between the tackles, and then those tricks didn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think what we're seeing here is they recognize that they're trying to get to make it more of a across-the-board threat in short yardage, which will give them more uh, opportunities to do different things that might even end up being big plays. Once again, you can listen to that full press conference right here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network on From the Podium. This is the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. When we come back, it's those world-famous marinated takeaways. Stay with us. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Well, I'm going to let this marinate. You know, let that one marinate, and then we can circle back. Adapt. React. Readapt. Takes time. Takes years. <laughs> That's the takeaway. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. It's a beautiful day in Chiefs Land with the team now at at eight and three, coming off a big time win against the Las Vegas Raiders. We're going to get into marinated takeaways. I know you hear the music, but uh, John, uh, before we before we do. I thought this was interesting and, and somewhat relevant in Kansas City because you know about the trials and tribulations of Marcus Peters. Peters had an argument, it seemed like, with his coaching staff uh, of the Raiders yesterday. He was visible on the sidelines. There was some kind of conversation with him and interim head coach Antonio Pierce before heading into the locker room, but it seemed like he almost took himself out of the game, was not part of a defensive huddle late as the Raiders were trying to rally. 
And then this morning, the Raiders ended up cutting Marcus Peters. And so just a note there that very interesting that uh, against his former team where, you know, I know there had been similar rumblings of problems with the coaching staff and they ended up moving on from him. But eventually he's been bounced around between a couple teams, Rams and Ravens included now on the open market once again. Wow, I did uh, that piece of news had escaped me this morning. I had my head down working on post game uh, coverage. So I didn't, I didn't see that it happened. John Dixon on the air, right? Yeah, so that's right. <laughs> Sometimes it takes me a minute to catch up on this stuff on the on a uh, no, day after the game day. So, wow, what a story that is. I'm sure there'll be people right now saying we should go get him, but I don't think that's going to happen. It won't happen in Kansas City. I I do wonder if there's some playoff team around the league. Maybe not your starting cornerback, but that it takes a shot. And it's hard to teach that that ball hawk thing that he has, but it comes with a lot of that sometimes off the field fire. So we'll see where Marcus Peters lands. All right, let's get into the meat of this game. 31 to 17 Chiefs. The final Raiders dropped to five and seven. As I said, the Chiefs improved to eight and three. John, it's time for the world famous marinated takeaways what's number one in your mind well uh i'm gonna kind of marinate takeaways from two games because we talked about the eagles game uh before it happened we haven't had an opportunity to talk about that on the podcast so i want to meld a couple of things together here from what we've seen from these two games and one of them involves travis kelsey i know that people uh were unhappy about the offensive production that the team has had and wanted to put a lot of it on Travis Kelsey uh, not producing as he had, pointing out correctly that he'd had three games with uh, yardage below 50 yards. Uh, in fact, the, the three games in question were for 14, 26, and 44 yards, a total of 84 yards in three games. And people were saying, my gosh, he's not what he used to be. You know, this is bad. Well, I looked. Last year, his three lowest producing games were for 25, 38, and 43. That's 96 yards. And the year before that, the three lowest games were 20, 23, 25, and 27. That's even less, 75 yards. Point being that Travis Kelsey always has games like this. The reason he gets to over 1,000 yards every year is that he has four or five games where he's over 100 yards. He has a couple of, yard, couple of games where he threatens to reach 200 yards. And then he's got a lot of games where he's down around 50 or 60 yards and so on and so forth. Right now, he's at 732 yards for the season. He only has to average 45 yards a game in order to reach another 1,000-yard season. So I know it's everybody is concerned about Travis Kelsey's age and that he's dating Taylor Swift and he's talking about retirement and all these things, but he's really putting in the same kind of season we typically see. It may be a little bit less, Mm-hmm. we've seen in previous seasons but it's also pretty much the same yeah i think uh i think it's hard to say age or not and when i when i say that i i he suffered an injury right before the year started the hyperextended sure. knee mm-hmm. and then the ankle and i think you can make a case is he 100 percent from get-go this year and i i don't think he's ever going to be 100 percent this year when it, i mean those that was a significant injury to suffer and he missed the first game, but was able to come back the next week and kind of hasn't really gone talked about now. Does he suffer that injury? If he's younger, was it more of a freak thing? Does he have the ankle? You know, that can go into older age, right? I mean, he did have that article that came out wall street journal where he essentially for the first time was honest about just his surgeries and his body being beaten up and just where he's at. 
And I do think it is news because he's never talked like that before the interview with the Wall Street Journal. I do think it's news that he said retirement is on his mind. And I mean, you're seeing a lot of success off the field where it's really, I think, in in his mind, becoming visible where it's not like the fame is going to necessarily go away. It's going to be different. It's always Mm going to be at its peak when you're an actual NFL player. But there's a life after football. I mean, he could be an actor. He could be somebody that does football coverage like you see with the Manning brothers. He could do his clothing thing, the modeling thing. There's a lot of angles. That, and, and a lot of people even think the acting thing he's good at. Just besides being a great football player he, on SNL was you know pretty good. And, of course, there's the whole Taylor Swift thing. So that, to me, is news. I, I'm, I'm with you in like this freak out about Travis Kelsey. Uh, and him maybe not having a thousand yards. It's not news. I, I mean, I th- think for a second I thought about it, but what do the Chiefs have left here? Six games, John. He's at mm-hmm. 732. Yeah. Uh, unless he suffers another injury, which you're always knocking on wood and crossing your fingers about that. Unless he suffers another injury, crazy to say it, but a thousand yards is in the books essentially. Oh, yeah. Right. Like for yeah. him, even if he were to have what 50 yards a game, doesn't matter. I mean, he's going to get there. So, um, will be really interesting to see if the Chiefs do do it again this year, if they are able to repeat as Super Bowl champions with everything that we've just learned about him. Um, and just this past game, he reached 11,000 receiving yards. No Chief in NFL or no Chief in, in history has ever done that. Like he's done a lot of things. He's already going to be in the Hall of Fame. I think it's for me, this past week's news became it became more of a year by year thing with Kelsey than I thought it had been. I was assuming, you know, at least two to three more years at least. Uh, whereas now, I don't know. You know, if they were to do it again and, and win a title, what do you just call it? Um, I tended to think that he was chasing Tony Gonzalez, but these words were different, and I, and I don't know how serious we should take him. He doesn't really talk a lot anymore either, so it's hard to follow up on on any of these things. Well, I, I think those words were a little different. Yeah. But I, speaking as someone who has recently been where Travis Kelsey is sitting, doing something that I was pretty good at, and I was thinking about retirement, retiring from the audio business for a number of years before I finally did. Right. And I don't know that it necessarily means that he's close to it. He's just reached the point in the career in his career where he's thinking about it. And and as days go on, you think about it more and more. That was true for me anyway. And I was lucky enough to be in a position that I could step away from it and um, and maybe earlier than I might have anyway. Maybe that's true for Travis Kelsey as well, but I don't think necessarily the fact that he's talking about it publicly as he is now necessarily means he's in his last season. We could still be looking at two or three more seasons beyond this one. If I'm a Chiefs fan, I'm saying let's get Kelsey on the McKinnon plan. No need for him to be anywhere close to the facility <laughs> in the offseason. If he can just get there by the first, second week of St. Joe, that's that's good enough, right? Like, that's let's reasonable. You know, keep his body in, in shape. And not that it even worked for McKinnon. McKinnon didn't do any of the offseason programming, and he's he's, all, he's got these injuries. But um, joke, half-joking here, I, I think the Chiefs will work with him. We've seen them work with older players. Sure. Uh, this regime work with older players where – less practice, less obligations, and just, you know, yeah. make sure you're, you're there on Sunday management of, of the load as they get older. Well, there's uh, one thing what... about that. Travis actually likes training camp, unlike a lot of players. Well, he says so, he does. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, you know, we thought last year was the offseason of, of Kelsey. I'm curious about this year's, this impending offseason, what that's going to look like for him off the field. And I wonder how much he's going to 
like training camp and the the dorm food at St. Joe. Um, <laughs> I have a similar first takeaway to you and uh, having to do with the Philadelphia game. I'm a I'm a happy, grateful. You know, what am I thankful for during Thanksgiving week? I'm grateful we didn't have an editor show after the Philadelphia game. <laughs> this is we're safe here, right? We're, it's just me and you. I was feeling pretty dumb. I got to be honest with you after the showing by the whiteouts in that game. Um, and I think you really needed this game for me to be able to come back on here uh, and save face. Uh, I think what we saw from the receivers <laughs> led by rice in Sunday is what we've needed to see for a long time. Uh, and I, you know, I want to go back here. My whole take has been the, the chiefs have enough in the receiver room to win a title. I, I, I never said that. I don't think there could be an improvement. I actually do think that, Veach is going to attack the wide receiver room this offseason. There is a nice free agency class. We know about the draft. I think we've seen Veach really attack weaknesses. Remember going into that 19 season, revamp the whole def- defense by bringing mm-hmm. in Spagnolo and a couple pieces right. there, Matthew included. Uh, same thing with the offensive line in 2021. 2020 was horrible at the end. It cost the Chiefs a, a championship. When you get to the championship game, you got to win it. They couldn't win it. I mean, there was no winning that game with, with the offensive line they had. They attacked that in 2021. I tend to think they will do the same thing this this year. Like, I think this uh, this wide receiver room is going to be Rasheed Rice and a, a bigger name, be it a college um, premium picket receiver where they have to trade up or a free agent or both. Uh, Beach attacks these weaknesses on a offseason by offseason basis. Um, I think it can stand to get better. What I've maintained and I think you're starting to see this with the Ra- Raiders game being an example. I think you can win a title with with these receivers in this room. And I think the defense is a big part of that. We saw them struggle at the beginning yesterday, but then they got right back to the defense that uh, they've looked like since the beginning of the year. And I think, right, we always talk about the same stuff year by year. Every Mahomes team is going to look a little bit different, especially as you go here and as the money changes hands and whatnot. And maybe in previous championship teams, it's been offense, Legion of Zoom. We're going to kill you. We're going to outscore you. Whereas (laughs) this year, I just think it can be a complete team thing where the defense does its job. The offense does its job as long as they can build off of this performance uh, moving forward. And regardless of how it looks, what really matters at the end of the day, if you're holding the Lombardi trophy, I, I don't think it matters if the receiver room is a little bit less than it's been in previous years. And I think, thank God we didn't have to do a show after last game. Cause it would have been hard for me to say that <laughs> with a honest, yeah, no, straight nobody would have believed you down. <laughs> whereas now I do feel like that uh, here after this game. Well, I agree with you. I, I think that it was very hard to, to get that perspective after that game. Um, I'm, I was a little surprised by the reaction, frankly, to the game because, um, yeah, the wide receiver issues were certainly part of the equation, but the chiefs lost that game because of two turnovers without those turnovers, without one of those turnovers, right? The chiefs win that game. And I, I don't think there's a lot of room to argue that position, you know, and, and I don't blame people for this, but there are these blockers when it comes to really bad plays for Mahomes and Kelsey, and they probably deserve those blockers after all the good that they have done for years and years. And I felt that way about the Eagles game. Those were two really bad mistakes from your two best players. And everyone wanted to talk about the Marquez, what could have been a game saving play. You wouldn't have needed the game saving play necessarily. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, that play might not have even happened. 
uh, if one of those turnovers hadn't occurred in the red zone. I mean, those are, those are just terrible and they're going to happen. You know, I don't think we right. should get rid of Patrick Mahomes because he threw an interception in the red zone. I don't think we should get rid of Travis Kelsey because he had a, he fumbled the ball in the red zone. Right. We, you know, those are just mistakes that are going to happen in a game, especially when you're playing a really good team. And guess what? The Philadelphia Eagles are a really good team. So, all right, John, let's stay with you for, for marinated takeaway number two. Okay, back to more uh, feedback from the Eagles game. Uh, people went nuts over the Chiefs leading the league with 26 drops. Um, uh, Kevin Harlan mentioned it in the uh, play-by-play uh, during the game on Sunday, Yeah, uh, noting that there are several sources for uh, drops statistics, and they didn't all agree necessarily, but they all said that the Chiefs were one of the, the league's worst. and. Of course, it's a counting stat, which means that it varies by, you know, how many passes you throw and a lot of things that aren't necessarily important uh, with regard to, to the to the stat itself. You're much better with a rate stat. And Pro Football Reference has one. And sure enough, using the rate stat, the Chiefs are at the top of the league. They're the worst team in drops. But let's put some perspective on that. Uh, the the Chiefs have a 6.7% drop rate, which sounds pretty bad. But you know who else has a 6.7 drop rate? Tyreek Hill as mm-hmm. a player. Uh, Austin Eckler as a player has a 9.1% drop rate. Um, the worst drop rate among qualifying players in the NFL is 18.1%. By comparison... The Chiefs' worst drop percentage is Kadarius Toney at 10%. Rashi Rice, 8.9%. The guy everybody has wanted to cut this week because he drops the ball so much, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, 7.1%. Just above what Tyreek Hill does and better than Austin Eckler. Right. And then you have Justin Watson at 7.7%. So the point of this is that there's, there needs to be some perspective about what drops really mean. And they don't necessarily, they aren't a be-all, end-all kind of statistic. And what I mean by that is, if you look at the teams that are best in this metric, they include the 49ers, 1.9% as a team. The Eagles, 2.8% as a team. The Texans, 3.3%. Those guys, those teams are all up at the top. You know who else is up at the top? The Broncos at 2.5%, the Giants at 2.6%, the Patriots at 3.6%. In other words, it's nice to have a really low drop percentage, but it's not something that's going to make mean your team is good or bad. It just is part of the picture. Causation versus correlation. Exactly. As yes. we learned in, in high school. I, uh, I agree. I, and I, you know, for whatever reason, and I, I'm not looking at numbers well, that, that you're looking at, John, it's almost like that they should fire Rasheed Rice a pass early, let him drop it. And then he could just be shine <laughs> the rest of the game. It's almost like he needs to get it out of the way before he has a great game. for well, the That's Chiefs. the pattern we had yesterday for certain, you know, yeah. that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I still, I'm a rice believer. I mean, I, I, I think, the chiefs would be a more efficient offense if they didn't have the drops. Um, and I think those things come a little bit more into the spotlight when you have as bad of a drop as Marquez did, right? Like, yeah, now you're that's like, right. Okay, well, how bad is this problem? And you're like, Oh, um, 
this one ant has led to a colony of ants in my kitchen. And now I have to <laughs> call the exterminator. My next marinade takeaway is that I think Isaiah Pacheco beyond uh, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, as much as I love rice is, is the third best offensive player. I've been kind of saying this all year and I think you saw it proved against the Raiders. I actually love him as a pass catching back as well. That is a part of his game that he's, he's really developed. I know the chiefs still are going to try to, play McKinnon I think down the stretch because he's the best pass blocker when it comes to your running back so it's not like he's going to be without a role your third down back uh, Clyde did a little bit of that yesterday but uh, Bert Breer said this with Sports Illustrated Isaiah Pacheco runs like he's getting ready to hurt someone on every play Andy Reid after the game said those are the toughest 55 yards I've ever been around this dude needs to be <laughs> touching the ball right like, yeah how many times do I not say it People who really listen to the show a lot, you know how I feel about Isaiah Pacheco touching the football, and you see what it means for the offense. This is what I'm talking about. He touched it 20 times yesterday. He is a scary, scary player. He'll open things up for Travis Kelsey because you got to have guys rallying to him to get him on the ground. He'll open things up when the offense um, you know, needs a, a quick pass, an outlet, a check down, um, maybe even a design screen, and he can be effective that way and again if if now suddenly you have three of these weapons in the chiefs offense like what else do you want here i, I know you could load up the wide receiver room like the philadelphia eagles wide receiver room with brown um and smith very enviable but if you have and you're actually feeding these guys kelsey and pacheco and rice and then you could get some of those other guys in the mix here and there, I think you got a pretty good offense and one and an offense with compared to this defense that again can get you there. It, again, it's not going to be like previous years where the offense steamrolls anybody, but I just think Pacheco being a huge part of that is only going to help uh, this offense become what it needs to be to win a title. Yeah, I agree with you, and and it's another example of how a single statistic can be misleading. Yesterday, he averaged three point seven yards an attempt. And for guys who, you know, love Jamal Charles when he was putting in games where he averaged 5.5. 5. 5. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, you put in a game where he's over five yards a carry. You're going, oh, my God, this this shows you what a great back he is. But, you know, on Sunday, Pacheco averaged just 3.7 yards, his longest just eight yards. But he had two touchdowns. And uh, I think it was you that pointed this out in your reaction piece yesterday. There were four short yardage situations where. They put Pacheco in the game and he ran between the tackles and converted every time. Yeah. And that's what you remember about this game. He had an outsized impact on it, even though he only had 55 yards. Fan I think Andy Reid put it exactly right. Fantasy football is so big now, like talking about the, the NFL. If he got the volume like some of these other backs do around the league, he would be considered one of the best players in the NFL. It's just the Chiefs offense is passed first. I'm telling you, it, it watching him is it's he's unlike any running back uh, I, I you know I, I watch a lot of these games I you know I, I watch the game tonight even though it's not really a good game what is it uh Steve it's uh um Vikings I'm gonna watch the Vikings and the Bears I'm okay Steve I'm gonna watch the Vikings and the Bears tonight I enjoy watching it whatever um <laughs> he's he's one of the better backs in the NFL I just don't think he gets the opportunity that that other other um players get and what a year to do it when you do you're not as confident as you are beyond Travis Kelsey in the passing game. And and I think you you see what it means for the passing game. Like Pacheco got 20 20 touches, John. Mahomes was only two yards shy of having 300 yards passing. 
right? Like yeah. it could have mm-hmm. easily have been 300. And that's what you, that's where you want to be. And I, yeah, you know, I hope they continue to give Pet Pacheco opportunities. All right, let's get to your final takeaway, John. I thought it was uh, real interesting yesterday. This has nothing to do with the Eagles game. Finally, we're just talking yeah. about yesterday's game. Uh, I thought it was real interesting that they had Richie James and Sky Moore side by side back there for kickoffs. Mm. I thought that was a very unusual thing. It was something you used to see all the time in the NFL. And now you don't see it very often. Nowadays, uh, they'll have an extra guy up, you know, up forward as a blocker rather than having two guys back there, one on each side of the center line of the field. And watching it, I think what it was, was having one guy who could be the eyes of the other guy. So the other guy can pay attention to catching the ball instead of trying to pay attention to what's coming down the field. And you know what? I thought that was pretty smart. Um, that their experienced Richie James can be watching the coverage come down the field and shout out to Sky, okay, drop it. Oh no, let it go. So they can make the right decision in that situation. You know, one day when when one of us leaves Arrowhead Pride or you're done or I'm done, you're gonna reveal to me that you and Dave Tobe have launched every Wednesday. You always <laughs> include a Dave, Dave Tilt note. But I like it. I mean, I, I, uh, well, I, I thought it was interesting. I, yeah. you know, I hadn't seen it for a long time, you know, it's an so. intriguing point to make. And, and, you know, I, I think you're right. And I, I, if I'm the, that team too, I'm, I'm kicking it to Sky Moore every time. Like, if you're giving me two options and, you know, if I'm doing my, my scouting, why not just make sure that he can still catch the football? But uh, I actually liked Richie James in, in the return game. I'm actually surprised. You know, I was looking at snap counts. I know we're going to get into that in a second here, but I was surprised to see him not really get as much play on offense. I hope that he continues to get looks. You know, I don't mean to be um, Chiefs fan on X that is trying to find something to complain <laughs> about, but I wouldn't mind seeing James get some of those looks that Marquez gets. It seems like they're still including Marquez. I, you know, I'm at the point where I don't care how much money Marquez Valdez-Scantling makes. I, I just think they got to give other guys um, opportunities we're a little bit behind on the schedule for this podcast. We try to keep it an hour, so I'll make this last point quick. I thought the Chiefs were really impressive against two stars of the NFL, truly, uh, Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams in the second half. They let them get theirs. No arguing that in the first yeah. half. It was a disaster, borderline disaster. Devontae Adams, no yards in the second half. And then Josh Jacobs, I believe he only had 16 rushing yards um, after having nearly 100 in the first half. And that was the key to the game, right? Like if, if a team is going to get back in the game, they're going to go back to their stars, especially when you allow the running back a 63-yard run for a touchdown. Looked like the defense was reverting a little bit, and then I, I thought it was just very, very impressive that they were able to settle back in. And I know these guys are Raiders. I know we like to make fun of them. But, uh, you know, I was just mentioning Pacheco as one of the best running backs in the NFL. Jacobs is already there. Like, no one argues that. Right. Same thing, right. obviously, with Adams, top five, easily, if not top three, whatever you want to say. And so... Really nice job in the second half against those guys. Um, and I thought that was a big part of them um, managing the victory. All right, we'll take a quick break and then we'll have some snap count takeaways and we'll get into the initial odds, Chiefs and Packers on Sunday Night Football. This is the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. Stay with us. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. The Chiefs coming off their win uh, against the Las Vegas Raiders, 31-17. to John, I'll turn it over to you as you take a glance, an initial glance of these snap counts from the game. Anything stand out to you that we, we ought to discuss? Well, I always like to talk about this, the pass-run ratio. Uh, just like it was against the Eagles game, it was at 60-40. Um, pass over run which is a little more running than we typically see from Andy Reid and I think that's the number we've been looking for to get just a little more of the running game involved in the offense I think it I think we saw that it helped against the Eagles Mm -hmm. Uh, again absent the turnovers the Chiefs would have won that game and in this game absent turnovers the 60-40 ratio uh, did very well, putting 30, right. 31 points on the scoreboard. So um, I thought that was a, a big, important thing. Uh, another thing that I thought was interesting was that uh, Isaiah Pacheco had his season high at 79%. Yep. So rather than uh, than bring in Edward Zelaire to do exactly what uh, McKinnon had been doing, they let Pacheco carry some of that load that is normally handled by uh, McKinnon himself, um, which I thought was interesting. I think Edwards Hilaire had like 11 snaps or something like that. I didn't happen to write that one down, but um, but I thought that was also an interesting thing. And, and it goes along with the point that you were making, I think. Yeah, and I, I think when you're giving Pacheco that many snaps, and, it, and by extension, I think you can make a case of the receiver's where you're distributing the targets and it's only like three or four guys as opposed to the six or seven and you're leading into one back and letting him get into a rhythm. I mean, I I've talked about it on this show before I've talked to Isaiah Pacheco about that, where he just wants the volume. I mean, it, it he, he, it, I asked a very particular question. This was, might've been last year, but I just was saying, how do you feel on carry eight or nine as opposed to carry two or three? And, you know, he kind of admitted, I feel a lot better, like a lot, a lot, you know? And so, <laughs> it's it's logical it it's very obvious but just to hear that confirmation and then same thing with these guys i I looked at the wide receiver snap count i've been i've been x posting as they say them out every week and rice ended up with 40 watson and Moore had 34 apiece Uh, valdez scantling had 32 richie james nine and then montreal washington called up from the practice squad he ended up having two that three or four guys, and I, I know I just mentioned I would like to see James kind of cut into Valdez-Scantling, but having three or four guys that are getting 30, 40 snap, I think that's the way to go to let these guys continue to like play in the game and get in a rhythm with Patrick Mahomes. You know, you'd mentioned, um, or Andy Reid had mentioned, Rice just being able to become Patrick-friendly now, like Travis Kelsey's Patrick-friendly. <laughs> I think you can only be Patrick-friendly if you're getting on the field for the majority of the offensive snaps where you're able to get into that groove into the game and so i think that was a positive development um in the snap counts as well anything else well, john you you always bring these up as as raw numbers and i always like to work with percentages on snap counts and i'll put what you just said about the four wide receivers a different way sure. um in 
early in the season, we talked about how they were so close. All the wideouts who would play would be close to the same percentage. It's well, now we have four that are above 50% and two that are well below 50%. And nobody, four, yeah. Nobody has wanted to admit, admit to me. They're looking for three or four guys to step up. I've asked Andy Reid. I've asked Matt Nagy. I right. asked the yeah. wide receivers coach, <laughs> Connor Embry. No, we're good with six. No, you're not. You're not good with six or seven. I know that you want to find three or four. It's okay to say that. Dave Merritt comes right out and says, yeah, but Joshua Williams or Jalen Watson. <laughs> <I'm like>, this <laughs> is the guy I want to talk to every week. But we only got to so um, and one other thing I noticed yes, uh, on the defense, a couple of things on the defense, um, and it's taken me a while to notice this, but George Karloftis is carrying the same kind of load that Chris Jones carries in this defense. He's out there 75, 80% of the snaps every game now. We're yeah. not seeing that same production that uh, we would expect to get out of Jones, but it's not bad at all. Uh, what is he at seven sacks now? I think something like that. And he's had yeah, some I critical mean, sacks in if games. You look, if you look at it from a pressure standpoint, I mean, he, mm-hmm. he has more than Jones, but it's just very right. hard to quant- quantify that just because Jones is allowing Karloftis mm-hmm. to, to get that production um, yeah. in a sense right now uh, with the last night included Karloftis has 47 pressures. Chris Jones is 37 on the season. Um, again, that, that was without the initial first game as well. So you have to factor that right. in, but right. yeah, Karloftis is having a hell of a season. I did see he did a Jersey swap with, with Aiden O'Connell. And before everyone freaks out about the chiefs Raiders things, these guys were like <laughs> best friends from Purdue and nobody picks which team, um, you know, you sign with or get drafted <laughs> by. And so really cool moment. And, uh, Aiden O'Connell wrote, uh, in a note to Karloftis on his Jersey. Thank you for not hitting me too hard. So, <laughs> uh, a pretty nice moment for two, uh, former boiler makers. And then, the, uh, one other, and then one other thing, uh, yeah. not about a boiler maker in this case. Um, I've been kind of curious to see how, Charles O'Menahue would be used uh, with the Chiefs. And, of course, he missed the first mm-hmm. batch of games this season with the suspension. And it now looks like he's settling in around 60 or 70% of snaps in a game. It's varied a little bit uh, over these few games that he's been, in the, been on the field. But that's a pretty high number for a guy who's in a rotational role. I think he's going to be a significant part of the defense uh, through the, the stretch run and the postseason. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, Many who came in, came in what in that uh, seventh game, so right it could be could be a case that he's kind of just settling in a little bit, uh, you know, at this point um, as well after missing that first chunk of the year. All right, those are the snap counts. So we've gotten through Andy Reid, marinated takeaways, the snap counts. Uh, John, what are the opening odds against these Green Bay Packers? Yeah, this is a this is a little scary. Uh, yeah. The Chiefs come in as six and a half point favorites uh, in this game at Lambeau Field in Green Bay. Now, the problem here is that the Packers have not only beaten the spread, they have upended the spread the last two weeks. They were three-point underdogs in week 11 and won by three points. (laughs) And they were were seven-and-a-half-point underdogs uh, over in this past weekend and won by a touchdown. So I'm a little worried. (laughs) (laughs) about the Packers being a six and a half point underdog, but I think it's the right, you know, given the records of the teams and everything, I think it's the the right point spread. I just 
I'm just feeling anxious about it. Well, I, I think had Jordan Love not looked as good as he has recently, it would probably right. be like 10 points, even though the Chiefs were on right. the road or somewhere between seven and 10, you know, that eight and a half, nine and a half type of spread. But to Love and his resurgence, in, in a sense, or I guess emergence, because he hasn't ever really been <laughs> something right in the league yet, uh, you're seeing uh, what is a, a Low-key, really good quarterback matchup. I'm kind of excited to see if Jordan Love can continue to have success, and he's going up against the best quarterback in the game. We, after the Aaron Rodgers trade and everything, we kind of wrote this game off. We assumed that it might be considered something that could be moved, you know, moved back from Sunday Night Football, where I think there's suddenly uh, some intrigue to this game. This wouldn't be the first Mahomes-Love matchup because Love ended up starting – the COVID game. This is a, actually a revenge game because he, they put his parents at the top level of Arrowhead Stadium, and they said, and he and he and he wasn't too pleased about that. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> they bought uh, his his mom, I believe, was that. sitting in the final level of Arrowhead. Not that it's not fun up there. I know my friends really love sitting at the uh, top of Arrowhead because you can stand uh, the whole I'm, game. And there's no one to to bother you, but. Right. I've sat in those before. As a matter of fact, I was there for the Baltimore Ravens playoff game in 2011 or whatever it was. Well, uh, she uh, did not take advantage of uh, being able to stand (laughs) all game. She was sitting and looked very cold, if I'm remembering correctly. But it should be fun. Uh, Six and a half points uh, on the spread. We'll see if that changes throughout the week at DraftKings Sportsbook. We got all your updates at ArrowheadPride.com. We'll be pumping out this content. Thanksgiving is over, so we are back in business on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. We'll have reports all week the shows you can expect all week Uh, again we need you to leave a rating and review right here for the arrowhead pride podcast network if you leave it we'll read it right here on the arrowhead pride editor's show so for john dixon my name is pete sweeney thank you for joining us on another edition of the arrowhead pride editor's show Hey there, it's Pete Sweeney from Arrowhead Pride, and I'm excited to announce a new element of the Arrowhead Pride experience for diehard Chiefs fans. It's our brand new newsletter, Arrowhead Pride Premier. Arrowhead Pride Premier is a newsletter delivered to your inbox twice a week from me. For $50, you'll get an annual subscription packed with insider coverage from yours truly and new in-depth analysis from voices around Kansas City. It's all about what I'm seeing and hearing around the team. During the season, we'll deliver a newsletter ahead of each game to get ready for Sunday and a newsletter after each game to unpack exactly what happened. Subscribe to Arrowhead Pride Premiere today at arrowheadpride.com slash subscribe.